Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. In the previous episode of the Puberty Prof Podcast, Dr. Delmasio Dennis Flores and I talked about existing communication barriers or things that get in the way that stop us from truly communicating with others about human sexuality. We really were focusing on that communication between parents and children because, I mean, let's be honest, as we're growing up and we're going through changes, especially puberty, it'd be great to have someone talk with us about what to expect, expect before we go through the changes and even to talk about some of the social, mental, emotional things that are going on. Therefore, since the last episode looked at the barriers or the things that stop the communication, this episode is focusing on how we create bridges or ways to increase effective communication in which Dr. Flores, thank you so much for being back. Would you like to say hi to our audience? Of course, thanks for having me again, Lori. That first episode was really fun and I'm here for round two. Hi everybody. And would you mind reminding us of your background? Sure thing. So I am an assistant professor in the School of Nursing at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, so I'm joining you today from Philadelphia. Prior to my current position, I was actually an HIV AIDS nurse in Atlanta, and I did that for a few years uh, during my first few years as a nurse. And eventually I've moved from direct patient care to being in the community, uh, more focused on uh, the promotion of sexual health of adolescents and specifically for LGBTQ youth. Um, it's been a wild ride going from frontline care all the way to the research side, but uh, the value of parent-child sex communication is the consistent theme uh, in my career. Well, thank you again for being here, Dennis. And like I said, in the last episode, we chatted about barriers that stop that healthy communication with young people, particularly when it comes to talking honestly about sex or sexuality. So this episode, we're going to provide advice on how to create these commu communication bridges, if I can even say the phrase. Before we go over recommendations, would you mind explaining what the research tells us about what is effective parent-child communication and how it impacts sexual decision-making? Totally. Um, we know from 40 years of research on this field, there has been consistent attention on how the dynamics, the communication between parents and youth unfold, and what the resulting um, outcomes are for youth. We know that if they're done correctly, if they're done consistently, the discussion between parents and their young person about sex and sexuality, what happens is that, number one, it enhances efficacy with condom use by adolescents. We also know from all this research that it encourages youth to resist when they're being pressured to have sex. It initializes conversations about HIV prevention or SCI screening before they engage in the act. And because I'm such a nerd, I love being a nurse. 
we know that if parents talk to their young person consistently, it increases an adolescent's tendency to access and to use reproductive and sexual health services. So I cannot emphasize enough the value, uh, the yield that would come if parents are really mindful about talking with their adolescents about all the things they should expect or that they're going through. Okay, you used a word that I know we use in the research world. Would you mind rephrasing what that means? Because I know the first time I heard it, I was like, okay. And I know when we write journal articles, we have to use all those types of terms. So what is what is efficacy in your eyes? Yeah, so I mentioned that sex communication between parents and youth enhances efficacy with youth uh, for using condoms when they engage in sex. And that's ultimately a result of several studies that have looked at what are the factors that encourage youth to consistently be using this type of uh, protection, in this case, condoms, uh, before they engage in sex. And we know that um, efficacy is their ability to consistently use this material or this condom prior to or because of a stimulus or prior to engaging in a certain act. Um, and we love that because the argument against uh, having discussions then is debunked. In a lot of health education theories that the term is self-efficacy, that we try to, when we do programs, even teaching in the classroom setting, we attempt to increase a person's self-efficacy so they feel more comfortable even saying no. Even, um, and actually, if you're like, wait, condoms, I'm not even there talking to my kid about condoms or to talk to my parent about condoms. Let's, let's go back to even talking about what do I do if I have a wet dream? What do I do if I get my period? It's that self-efficacy that I feel able to go and have a conversation to seek help or to actually use a product like a menstrual pad, a menstrual cup or something like that. Yep. So what do you perceive are the top recommendations for a parent or caregiver so they can talk to their child or even a, a partner or something about sexuality? Yeah, so based on the work that we've done, based on the lit review and based on the succeeding uh, research conducted here at the University of Pennsylvania, we know for a fact that number one, a parent's influence on their children, this actually has an expiration date. And so what this means is you don't, you can't afford to wait. Uh, you don't want to be too late when initiating talks, given uh, the preponderance of, the, of media and other sources of information at your young person's disposal. Um, you know, you want to be the resource of choice for your child, not the one that they turn away from. So that's the first advice that I would give out there of being mindful of your golden window of opportunity and not and, waiting on that. And what is that? When's like the expiration date? So ideal, well, it all depends because it's dependent on an individual's growth and development. But ideally, we want to provide information uh, prior to sexual debut. And here's the thing, parents are not the most reliable uh, folks to guess when their child is going to sexually debut. And so it's easier, it's better to just go ahead and start early and start when they're young. And it's, it's interesting because I think I had a family member that thought I was doing something, but I wasn't. Mm -hmm. So you don't really know what your child is doing. So, but I like the, the fact that you say, even to talk about puberty, they're potentially not having sex. I mean, they're not of the age to, to have 
to provide consent and they're still going through puberty, but if they haven't spoken to their child before those years of like from fourth grade on to seventh grade are a great opportunity to start talking about even simpler topics. Would you agree? Exactly. Uh, you pick and choose the topics that you feel are most appropriate and you convey this information in the manner that they can um, really understand. You know, you don't want to overcomplicate things and you meet them where they're, they're at. But the bottom line is you want to have the coverage. You want to be able to have had the initial conversation so that by the time that they do actually sexually debut or they might need resources regarding X, Y, and Z, you are able to revisit that prior conversation. Okay, what's another recommendation? Sure thing. So when your child comes to you with a question, know that it's an expression of trust. And because they're so afraid that you judge them or that you'd be disappointed by them, you need to start off by reassuring them of your love or your joy that they came to you. So you want to establish or reinforce that trust and that bond. I think a lot of parents need to learn to recognize that this is an expression of trust, that my child is approaching me with what I think is a sensitive topic, and that the least, uh, the worst thing I can do is to freak out, right? Which is something that happens a lot, unfortunately. If you're watching this episode, and if you were able to see my face as Dennis was talking, I actually had a sad face because I had something, it didn't deal with like puberty, but it dealt with something I didn't understand about sexuality. I've always been naive in my life, but one of my caretakers actually made a quote unquote joke about it in front of me to others. And that to me shut down the communication. I was mm -hmm. like, I can't believe you just did that because I'm a kid. How would I know? I don't mm -hmm. know what the sexual humor is about. I'm a kid. Yeah. Okay. And so that that is an unfortunate instance where, you know, that uh, that trust was broken uh, and you've just laid clearly how uh, how tragic that can be. And it inhibits uh, what otherwise should have been a, a great resource or a great experience for you. And it just undermined it. Okay, so we have you know, express that the, the child is coming to you. So this is a, an expression of trust, like you said, when they're talking with you, realize there's an expiration date for yeah. starting the conversation. What else is a recommendation? So start early, make sure you, you give that positive feedback. What else? Um, we also say that you want to gently ask or confirm with your child what they're asking about. So instead of freaking out and thinking worst case scenario when they come with you with like any kind of sexual question, uh, instead of freaking out and thinking they're too young to be asking such things, well, the fact that they came to you means it's here, it's happening now. Uh, but do check with them, ask them what exactly are you wanting to know more about? Because it might just be a very simple answer that they need from you and you're thinking you're already like five years in advance right so be uh be cognizant of where you react what your reaction is and then framing it to what actually are they wanting to hear from me so ask questions and probe um, some other suggestions that i would have is that i want to reassure your um, listeners for the parents anyway that they don't have to be the expert at everything this notion of parents as 
the all-knowing benefactor of wisdom who then imparted upon their children. That's actually a little bit more antiquated now, especially given all the technology that our young people have. They have their phones, they watch TV, they have so many other resources at their disposal. And so for parents who think, oh my gosh, I'm not an expert at anything, especially sexual topics, know that it's okay for you not to know the answers. But do not be afraid of technology though. Reassure them that you wanna partner with your children uh, in looking for the information that they bring to you or they're asking you about. And so this is really where you know, health literacy comes in. And this is for where parents can model that behavior, how to be good consumers of online material, how to discern truth from that which is a misinformation, how to you know, really try to figure out what is the best resource out there and pairing up with your child. It's okay that the hierarchy is no longer there. It's really more of let's partner together and work towards figuring out the answers to your question. So I yes, go ahead. I wanna let the listeners know, I actually do have an episode that will be released uh, soon. Uh, and it deals with how do we access reliable resources and how do we teach our children to make sure they go to reliable resources? Because that's another national health education standard. Yes, so literacy. Health literacy is a very crucial skill that parents need to really talk to their children about. Because if you think you're, they're bombarded now with so much information, two years from now, it's going to get multiplied even more than that. So yeah. we, we just need to arm them with the basic skills of literacy. And I'd like to share a quick thing that when I was doing a puberty talk at a school, sometimes health teachers are asked to do that. And I don't necessarily agree to all the children coming in and then having a short period of time with them. But I, I remember, um, but I'm there, I'm a reliable resource at that time. But I remember one child was asking all these questions of um, who has penises? And they're like, well, do monkeys have penises? And I was like, well, male biological male monkeys okay then how about cows and I'm like okay I didn't grow up on a farm um okay that would be a bull so a bull would and then I got stumped and I think it's the first time in any time I've ever gotten stumped and it was they asked me if birds have penises and I had to say I don't know yep. and I went home uh, I passed by my pet's veterinarian's office and I was like okay I need an answer and I found out that most do not have a penis. Instead, they have a lump called a cloaca mm -hmm. to inseminate female birds. Exactly. But I love how you look for that information so that you're not out in the darkness wondering if indeed birds or anybody, anything in the avian family uh, would have the equivalent of a penis, right? And yeah. so for parents to, to do exactly what you did in partnering with their young person, let's find that information. Because I thought that was an interesting question. I won't deny there was another adult in the room that was trying to shut it down. I was like, I think that's interesting. And then the next time I saw that child, because I went to the school three times in a row, I actually said, okay, where, who wanted to know that information? I spoke with that child and their small group of friends. I said, I found the information for you. Because that then shows I'm not trying to hide things. It's like I'm a reliable resource. Exactly. And that's what we want to model for our kids. Um, I'm wondering in what you found with the literature or what you have on your list there, did you also note some teachable moments that might arise with parents and their kids? Oh, so totally. They can use that. 
teachable moments, uh, I will always swear by the value of teachable moments. And what is that? Well, essentially, um, you know, if anything comes up, an opportunity comes up in front of you, you need to seize that moment and uh, bring up conversations or check in with your child. Do you have questions about that thing? It might be while you're watching TV, you're riding in the car and something on the radio, they're listening to a song and there's a, an idea that came up that they've never heard about, or you know, a family friend mentioned something in passing, but just taking that opportunity to clarify it the moment it occurs. Okay, and I, and I love all of these recommendations. I think they're phenomenal. And they're things I recommend when I talk with parents or other caregivers and also teachers. But how about recommendations for young people? Let's say that a young person wants to talk to their parents, their caregiver, and they're not sure how to. Do you have any recommendations? Yeah, uh, well, generally in my work, uh, I feel like the onus is always going to have to be on parents. But yes, we do acknowledge that there are young people who are precocious uh, and that they will initiate conversations. And the first thing I say is be patient with your parents. Uh, you know, as you said earlier, generally parents, they're trying their best. Um, and things, <laughs> things were indeed very different during their time. And they'll need your assistance and understanding as well in, in trying to figure out what the responses are to your questions. Um, and then additionally, though, having said that, if you do have a question, I say go for it. Ask your parents whatever those questions are. If there's something that you're unsure about, let them know that you're confused about X, Y, or Z, and that you need their help in sorting things out. I think those are the top two things I, I would recommend because um, parents are there for a reason. They're supposed to guide you as you emerge, as you become an older person, as an older individual. Um, and these are just two things that I think, you know, go for it. Uh, and hopefully your parents will be able to rise to the occasion. And remember, if you don't have a parent that's available or they seem to not be open to talking, go to another resource. If you have a proactive school health educator or nurse, you know, mm -hmm. we have a school teacher in this episode as well as a nurse. So I'm thinking that we're pretty approachable. What leads me to another question that how do you as a professor, as a person working with a variety of audiences, how do you, what helps you talk honestly about sexuality with young people? Yeah, um, that's, that's a great question. And ultimately, I think knowing that all youth need a safety net, that's what drives me to be factual and to be upfront when discussing sexuality and health. Uh, to young people or their parents. As a nurse, I understand that emergent questions are to be expected because, you know, that's what adolescent development is all about. And that involves experimentation and trying things out. These are the hallmarks of puberty. Um, so we can actually anticipate most of their needs. Thus, we can package our responses in, in age-appropriate ways or in a manner that is inclusive. Um, ultimately, I think silence about sexuality has been happening for far too long and that this is the point where it needs to stop because nothing grows in darkness uh, and awareness uh, that we have to remove shame and stigma from the equation is what drives people to be more candid uh, about a very central aspect of our lives. 
Well, thank you for being here today and to share all those bridges or ways we can communicate with children, including make sure we do it earlier, before that expiration date, to note those questions that our children ask us. Ask us. It's about trust, mm -hmm. uh, that they trust us, uh, to ask what they want to know. If you're like, why are they asking me the question? Ask additional questions realize you don't need to know everything and then having those using those uh, teachable moments um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you how could they do that sure thing my email uh i'm always uh opening up my inbox through my phone so please send me an email at dalmasio at nursing.upenn.edu and dalmasio is spelled d-a-l-m-a-c-i-o and I am proof that you answer your email because <laughs> you responded very quickly. I was very impressed. Although at the same time, I want to make sure you have tech breaks because I know how it does things to the brain and the dopamine release and stuff like that. So <laughs> well, I thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Flores, Dennis. It's been a pleasure talking with you in this episode as well as the past one. So folks listening in, feel free to connect with this individual again we just, I, he answered my email right away. He was open to talking and that's what we wanna do for young people. We want them to know that there are safety nets, like the term that you use, Dennis, that there are safety nets and they can go to reliable and trustworthy people. So thank you again. Thank you for the opportunity, Lori. You are so welcome. And to our audience, feel free to connect with Dennis and to connect with myself at thepubertyprof.com or a Gmail account. And I hope that you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.